shooting broadcast a fascinating round in three, two, one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Hello, Fascination. Welcome to the show. So this episode is on the history of houseplants, and this is going to be a surprisingly interesting episode because I've got world-renowned plant expert Catherine Horwood on the show discussing her seminal work, Potted History, where she really looks at the history of houseplants since the days we looked out into the world and decided, that looks really cool, I want that in my conservatory, and people brought those plants indoors. Uh, that's a really fascinating history, but in truth, we have lived in parallel with plants for hundreds of thousands of years since the days we were living in caves, sitting around campfires, eating mutton flavored with the local herbs and spices that we found in the local flora right around us. But what really intrigued me about this is I was walking around my neighborhood and I saw almost everybody on their balcony, on their porch, uh, in their backyard, every little patch of green filled with different plants, some living, you know, like I said, living in the backyard, just in the earth, or living in pots hanging from someone's door or their, or their ceiling. People have really kind of taken to plants recently, and I don't know if it's the pandemic. From what I understand, the house plants were on the rise for the past five to ten years, but there's just been an explosion in popularity. It kind of passed me by until it kind of like smacked me right in the face, and I said, I got to do an episode on this. I got to know what's going on. And it turns out I'm going to get those answers today. So I'm excited to dive right into this. Catherine Horwood, thank you so much for being on the show today. Well, first of all, you know, I, I got to get right off the bat. I want to make sure that I address you properly. So what do you like to be called? Do you like Dr. Horwood, um, Catherine, the plant doc, uh, horticultural and herbal historian, C. Horwood? What, what do you like? Oh, Catherine, Catherine. Just keep I'd it rather simple. like the plant doc, but uh, no, keep it simple. Keep it simple. <laughs> I was looking at your your list of books that you've you've authored. They look amazing. I've only gotten a chance to read Potted History, which I don't even believe is out. Is it out or is this? Um, I don't think in the U.S. it's available yet. Wow. I mean, it's it's certainly out um, here in the in the U.K. and they are they're planning to to get it out as an ebook in the U.S. very very shortly. So you know what. Watch the usual space. Sure, you're. What, what I love about that is I got a pre-copy, a pre, a pre-American copy. I'm one of the first Americans yeah. to read this book, and I feel very privileged. Uh, but what are the other things? You know, you've written a lot of books on gardening and plants, specifically the rose. I wish I'd taken a look at this book first because the uh-huh. rose has always intrigued me. But you've written an entire book on on the history of the rose, as well as books on fashion, including a worst fashion book. I got to ask you, these seem like these seem like two passions that would not converge at all, but they converge in you. How do these things meet? What's going on with that? Uh, well, um, I started my working life as a journalist um, on a magazine called Good Housekeeping. Oh yes, uh, which uh, you know your your uh, your mom or some you know may have read, um, and. I then went into, uh, I, I was very late in starting my first degree. I wasn't, I was in my 40s when I went went to university because of, you know, 
boring things like marriage and children and all that. <laughs> sure. you know. sure. It's very pedestrian. Uh, and, yeah, yeah. But um, so my background is journalism, and I'd always, I'd, I'd always written. Um, and my when I came, I got very hooked on academia, I have to say. Mm. Um, and I, my PhD was on dress codes, looking at how people are judged by what they wear. Oh, I love it. Uh, okay. Which, I mean, I, I was looking at the 1920s and 30s, the interwar years. Um, but of course, uh, it still happens today. We all do it, you know. Sure, of course. <laughs> uh, and it was so, and it was really interesting. And I'll just tell you that um, when I first started, I thought the women were going to be interesting, but actually it was the men who turned out to be the most interesting because it's much more subtle with men. I mean, okay. with w women are far more influenced by fashion, but but men have other other ways of signaling. Um, anyway, after I, I, I then I did my PhD and I don't like writing unless it's going to get published. I really want to. That's a journalist, don't <laughs> Yeah. So, you're not a writer for writer's sake. You're, you yeah, are uh, no, money, no, money, no. money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, well, it's no, no. There's no money in books. Goodness, no. That's true. Um, that's true. But... Uh, so when I when I finish my PhD, I mean, I, you know, I'm I'm looking actually looking at it now, and it's a doorstop, and it's something that most people wouldn't want to read. Um, so I sort of de I actually had a sort of thing I I detroped it. My my supervisor um, sort of it, it, it's you have to put in all these sort of academic words and things in wow. it, and I knew that the general public <laughs> wouldn't want to read those. So I sure, stripped sure. those out and turned it into a readable book, and it was published. Um, and it's now, I'm really thrilled because it's sort of become a set text for for fashion students to, to read. And out of that, I was asked to do this book, Worst Fashions, Right. What yeah, yeah. We should yeah. what we shouldn't have worn, but yeah. did. Right. <laughs> and I, I, at first I thought, oh God, this is this will be really hard. But and it it was hard in a way. I looked at the different decades. Which do you think came out as the worst decade from the fifties to the nineties? Fifties to the nineties. Well, so what's I? I've got a twenty five percent chance of getting it right. But I'm gonna yeah. go. I'm gonna go specific on you here. I'm going to try to narrow it down. Let's see. So the 70s were amazing. Uh, the, the fashion is just unbelievable in the 70s. That's already out. <laughs> 50s uh, especially were for men look sharp. Women had the great little pencil dresses and stuff like that. Love that. Uh, I'm going, for me, this is, this is easy. It's the 80s for sure. Because some of the goofy stuff you got women in um, in the shoulder pads, uh, you've got you got men in small ties. Uh, I'm going with the '80s as a decade. If we're going to get very specific, it might even be I'm going to say late '80s, early '90s actually, with uh, the Ooh. vanilla ice stuff and the in the and the crazy colors. So I'm going '88 to '92. Uh, that's where I'm hitting. How close did I get? controversial very controversial <laughs> that's what i do yeah. i raise I mean, controversy this is, only, this is only my personal opinion okay. everybody has their own personal opinion sure, sure. um 
I actually went for the 70s. Oh! Oh, no! no I know! I know! Oh, my God. The seven, they were the best. So why don't you like the 70s? What did you think was terrible? Oh, my God. I mean, you know, knitted tank tops and, and platform shoes. And that was just the men, you know. I mean, <laughs> uh, no, come on. It was it was pretty dire. Come, tell oh, me something from man. the 70s that, <laughs> that you really liked. Well, my entire wardrobe's made up of 70s clothes. So I love disco uh, shirts. Okay, okay. Uh, I love polyester. I mean, how great is it that you had clothes made out of plastic? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know, I know. how amazing is yeah. that? And you got you got jumpers that came into play. Um, I don't know. It, it, you know what? I, so you could make an argument. I could easily see where someone could say that is the worst decade from a dress standpoint. And I'm also talking strictly American. I don't know how uh, fashion was across the world. So I do have an, an American centric view. So I do apologize for that. But I will say it was the most inventive and unique period of time, and when you have a situation like that, people either love it or hate it. You and I apparently are diametrically opposed when it comes to seventies fashion. Well, I'll tell you something that when I was when I started it, they said the, the publishers said they wanted two hundred and eighty illustrations, okay. uh, wow. which was which is a lot, which is a lot. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so I was searching everywhere and asking people. I said, you must have pictures, you know, when you were at, at, at university or when you got married. And no, 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 they couldn't find them. They didn't, they didn't have them. Later on, of course, they did. <laughs> they m- managed to miraculously uh, produce them once the, once the book had come out. Sure. Um, but I searched eBay and I found a catalog, a mail order catalog from a Canadian company on ebay um and i bought it for next to nothing and it was a gold mine it was the the cat the date was 1970 and it was polyester paradise <laughs> that's where i live is in a polyester paradise the company <laughs> was no longer trading it had gone gone bust so i i did i must admit that if you ever get hold of a copy of the book you will see quite a lot of illustrations from this Canadian um, mail order company, um, but it 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 was it was on the one hand it was great fun, but also it was quite serious, a quite serious fashion history mm-hmm. because I was talking about things like paper clothes. Mm-hmm. Do, mm-hmm. do do you know about paper? I mean, you talked about plastic, but actually. There were, you know, in the sixties, there were paper dresses. I did know about that. They're, but they're a little sturdier, so it's not like the paper clothes you would put on, like one of those nineteen fifties like dolls where you'd put like paper on them, uh, fashion no, dolls. You're talking no, about like no. actual dresses made out of almost like a crimp paper, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. I have seen exactly. those. Yeah. Yeah, um, they didn't really take on, <laughs> um, but it did. But so it, uh, I'm so glad you you picked up on that. I mean, it's it's it was uh, it was a fun book, and I think actually it needs updating. I mean, I kept putting. I have three daughters, and I kept saying, "Can I put these in? Can I put rara skirts in? Can I put you know?" And they say, "No, no, no. We're wearing them. We're wearing them again because everything goes round. Sure, you know sure. what, what whatever's been worn before yeah. um, comes back. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know." a lot of people um, have a bit of a rule you know if, if you've worn it the first time you don't wear it the second time it comes around yeah, but, I've heard that. Uh, I've just, I think that's yeah. wearing a bit yeah I think it's wearing a bit thin now <laughs> I, I, for sure I mean well look if I can convince you later on I would love to do a quick bonus episode on fashion because you and I could definitely talk fashion 
for sure. The connection to plants, I assumed it was because clothes are typically made out of cotton and cotton is a plant, um, but I'm guessing that is not how this happened. No, 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 no. No, I mean, my, my academic life was um, very much to do with, with dress history. Um, and it's, but at the same time, I was a passionate gardener. And that was a very important part of of my um, everyday life. Okay. And okay. so it, the, an opportunity came. Well, I, I, I was working with somebody about a history of the home, and we were trying to sort of th- see how I could fit into that. And I, this is when the idea for potted history first first came up. Mm, okay. That, um, because I, I mean, I, I was a very keen gardener, and I knew a lot about the history of plants. Um, it was suggested that, and I looked around, and amazingly, nobody had written a history of of plants in the home. Hmm. So that was the sort of that that was the uh, the segue to me, and it was it was lovely. It was lovely for me to be able to combine something that that was a great part of my life, um, you know, away from my my working life. And actually, I sort of moved over there completely, as you know, and, you know, Gardening mm-hmm. Women, another book, and yeah. and the Rose book, you know. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's how it happened. Well, it's funny because when I heard that the name of the book was Potted History, I'm from California, uh, you know, <laughs> things are a little mm-hmm. different around here. I assumed it was a book on the history of marijuana. And, you know, in some respects, uh, you know, in, in some ways it is, you know, uh, joking aside, because marijuana... Well, just going to mention. Yeah, just going to mention. Well, it gets a mention, but also marijuana is, you know, it's been grown in the home. And in some weird ways, the, the uh, you know, the underworld of growing marijuana in your house pushed forward this idea of having a perfect growing system, like, you know, plant plant lights and having a nice system those kind of from a technological standpoint were pushed forward by this need and desire to to grow to grow marijuana which is always it seems funny to me because a lot of the huge advancements in history always seem to be pushed forth by the uh underbelly is a strong word and has negative connotation but kind of this this underlife of the semi-legal or the fringe things uh, you know that that push forward this technology, and I think that that's always it's just always a very interesting thing uh, when I think about that. But I imagine so it's not about marijuana; it's about the history of plants and house plants. And you mentioned you were an avid gardener, but you're also a collector of house plants, right? Well, yes, as anybody who has plants in their home is is a collector. Right, yes, right. <laughs> um, I don't sort of I don't collect a, a, a particular type. Um, but I just feel a home isn't a home with, without them. Um, I live in in central London um, in a in an apartment. We do have a um, a, a roof terrace, but um, my my the rest of the apartment is is full of of, of plants, um, which I have for sort of varying reasons because I I like them or I think they're good for the the atmosphere. They're they're cleaners of, at, of mm-hmm. the atmosphere. Um, and it just makes you feel really good to to have them around. Um, and I, the, the, I get asked a lot. I mean, why this? I don't know. You know, the original version of, of Potted History came out um, nearly fifteen years ago, um, and this is the new version is an updated version. Okay. Um, and and when the first one came out, I ended on a sort of rather pessimistic note, actually, because I said I. You know, I felt that house that house plants had fallen out of fashion; that people didn't have them much. 
that everybody was going for cut flowers. Um, you know, you'd go to the, the supermarket, the mall, and, and you'd, you'd buy your, your flowers every week and you'd take them home and then you'd throw them away. And, but, but that was, that was what people did. They didn't, they weren't so keen on having, um, plants in their home, but everything's changed. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the last, um, certainly 10 years, I mean, and less, less than that, um, there's been a dramatic change and the, the, you know, the sales figures and the interest even before, um, COVID and, and the lock, various lockdowns all over the world started. Um, this is this is a, a new this is a new but well I say it's a new phenomenon. It's not a new phenomenon. It has happened before, um, and we can talk about that later on. <laughs> and for the same reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's a good place to start. Is in modern day, right? And and I want to I want to talk about some of some of my favorite plants uh, very quickly, and hopefully we'll get to them. This is kind of like a preview, hopefully. But my grandmother had a plastic ficus. I think it goes with my wardrobe choice. Uh, I love plastic for some reason, uh, <laughs> whether it's wearing it or putting it in your house. And I love this plastic yeah. ficus. I also I did a whole episode on carnivorous plants. I think carnivorous plants uh -huh. are just really cool. They're totally different. And they're, yeah. you grow them in terraniums, and we're going to talk about, you know, how did how did that how did those kind of evolve? Yeah. Uh, I did an episode on bonsai trees, which I think are really cool. Those are fun things to have in your house. Um, the chia pet again with the seventies. We you know we just keep rolling with the seventies theme. I love chia pets and the conservatory in Clue. I never really knew what it was for, but there's a whole history of the conservatory in, in especially in the UK, because a lot of your book focuses on house plants and their historical significance uh, in the UK. But I think that that also yeah. ties into basically what happened in the UK happened across the world eventually. So that's yes. a good place yeah. to show where it all started. And lastly, this is, uh, I, I think you're going to agree with me on this. This is one of my biggest regrets of the past year. And that is, I, in, I live in California, as I mentioned, there was a bloom uh, of the corpse flower at Cal Poly in July, and I mm -hmm. completely missed it. It was like right around the early days of the pandemic, and I didn't go. But these are, as you know, a very rare flower that, that are very difficult to bloom. I think they bloom like every 10 years or something. And I was yeah, very disappointed, yeah. but I think you and I would both agree that that is not a house plant because it smells nope. like rotting carcasses. So I don't think you would have one in your house, I imagine. No, no. Okay. <laughs> <Are we laughs> cer cer certainly not. Yeah. Certainly not. Um, but it's it's. I'm interested to know. Tell me what plants you have got then. Oh, that I have. Well, so I don't have yeah. a lot of plants. Again, I've got a plastic Christmas yeah. tree that's up right now. I've got a small cactus. I did. Uh, in my adult life, I've never been a huge plant person. I don't dislike them. I like them a lot, but I just don't have them. I tend to forget to water, and I don't think I can show them the same attention, and I'm, I'm afraid of, of that, really. But one plant I did take, I was working on, on a show, and it was closing down. And one of the things, someone had a, like an, I don't even know what kind of plant it was. It was kind of like, um, it wasn't an ivy. Like the, the runners, the leaf runners, they didn't grow around things. They just kind of hung down. I wish I had a picture of this plant. Yeah. And so I took that plant and I brought it home and I, you know, I had that plant for maybe maybe five or six years before it just kind of died on me. And I'm sure it's because mm -hmm. I didn't know how to take care of it. So that's about the extent of my plant, my plant world, which is, a, is very different than yours because you have quite a few. I have quite a few. And I think um, most people do now i mean the sales there's an uh, an online company in in the uk um and this year um 
their sales have increased by 500 percent that's not a that's a, that's not a misprint or wow. you know I'm, it is five five hundred percent now that's to do obviously with with the lockdown that people were particularly here you know we for for a long time we we were stuck inside our homes only allowed out for for an hour but but even so before that um the sales had had gone up dramatically and i think going back to what you were saying about cannabis earlier um i i think that this is down the, the increase in the interest in houseplants is down to three things um social mobility that the young young people nowadays particularly they can't afford to have houses with gardens and they're living in in a very small apartments um but they they want to have some sort of out, the outside inside mm, mm-hmm. um so it's social mobility um technology you absolutely absolutely um struck a note there that um it is <laughs> it, it is quite amazing but it's the technology that's come out not just from growing cannabis and marijuana plants in in the home but there's undoubtedly been um a, a knock on effect for um everyday indoor gardeners we can now buy really cheap um indoor daylights mm-hmm. to grow plants under um because of the the cannabis market because the technology has been there's been a demand for it um and so it's got it's got much cheaper but also it's to do with um micropropagation that um you know 10 years ago plants um things like um uh, the orchids that you see in in the supermarkets now, um, Phalaenopsis particularly, which is sort of these these beautiful, they're either white or purple or pink. Um, now you know, ten twenty years ago, they would have cost four or five times. They were investment purchases. Now they're almost treated like a bunch of flowers. You you buy them when they're in flower. You take them home. Uh, they last for for weeks, if not months. Um, and then, sadly, I'm afraid people throw them away because they think they're not going to flower again. In fact, if you put them in a corner, they will keep flowering. They're a, they're a marvelous plant. Um, and then, of course, the, the the third thing, the final thing, is the growth of social media, and the the fact that there are now these and that it's, it's, it's an awful word, plant fluencers, people who aye, photograph. Aye. I know, I know, I know. It's horrid. Um, and but influencers who photograph their house plants in their home and it has to be said that a house plant looks very good in that instagram square it looks better than you know going out into your garden and trying to photograph a flower bed or something that's quite tricky mm-hmm. but photographing a single house plant which is doing well in your home is going to get you thousands ten thousands maybe more I mean, certainly more, and you know, there are there are big names um, all over the world, and in, and in 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 the states as well, you know, particularly um, of people who are producing these these images, and and people want to in their own homes, they want to to copy them and do the same thing. I, I think that's amazing. I mean, social media is one of the things that is it. It, it intrigues me and and I was because cracking that code is so difficult but if you crack it you can have so much success and in a lot of ways it works the same way as podcasts where you have these these niche markets it's almost like the broad scope 
accounts and the broad scope shows like this one don't gain the traction mm-hmm. because they aren't specific enough. And when you talk about a spe- like if, you, if I had a carnivorous plant podcast, I'm guessing I would have hundreds of thousands of downloads because there aren't I can't imagine there's a lot of them. I just I'm thinking about this right now. I haven't done my research. But th- you know, and, and the same thing is true with these plant in plant plant fluencer how did you say that what is it yeah Plinf- yeah i don't know how you say it i know how you write it <laughs> right right well these plant Your influencers okay all right fair enough fair enough so you know it, it makes a lot of sense that you would have people who are very good at a very specific type of plant or for example one of the things i learned from your book which i'd never heard of was that there's actually popular plants that people are trying to acquire sometimes through illegal means one of them being the monstra oblica which is uh yeah it basically yeah. looks like the leaves of this plant look like they've already been eaten by caterpillars um it's it's <laughs> kind of amazing actually what what is the how how does social media how does it how does this become popular it's just that the right people have this plant is it a level of difficulty that this plant is to acquire or to take care of what is it about this plant or plant popular plants in general well, the, the the plant that you mention, um, I don't. Uh, if if you if you know it, um, um, it's it's actually been as with many of these plants, and we we can get on to talking about that later. But they've been around for um, decades, if not centuries. And um, the the the, the monstera, they were very popular in the in the fifties and sixties. They were big leaf plants that had these quite random holes in and they got very big and they tended to flop all over the place and and people had them and but and they were happy with them but but they sort of fell out of fashion as as these things do but the one you're talking about um has much smaller leaves and tends to to grow um long stems with all these little leaves so you can train it round so in a way it's more suitable for for modern homes and when these new plants are, are sort of discovered or come in, come onto the market, it's it's the same with everything. You know, they're they're expensive because there aren't many of them. But then once they start to be micro propagated, mm-hmm. um, that that they become much cheaper and they they're not so interested inter- interesting anymore. But with this particular plant, what's what's really caused a sensation is the the plants that are variegated. Now you know that you know some of them have that the, the the original ones are just green with the holes okay but there are now ones that have um sort of yellow or gold bands in them okay and they are that these are the ones that people want and are paying in New Zealand I think they paid sort of $3000 on eBay um for for a, for a cutting I mean quite ridiculous um, I mean, they're called the Chanel of of, of um, handbag of plants, you know, because they're so desirable. And just this week, I couldn't believe this, um, that somebody who has one that ha- doesn't have the gold stripes, it has like silver stripes oh in it. Held for ransom? Was it stolen by pirates and held for ransom? <laughs> £12,000 £12, for a cutting. <laughs> I mean, just outrageous. Yeah. Because within a few years, you know, if you just wait... In a, within a few years, but of course, it's it's the novelty value. This is what what people want is the novelty value that something um, haven't hasn't been around when they and they can't get hold of. It's interesting. There's a, there's a plant um, 
it's it's called the the Chinese um, money plant. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. For a long time, it was it's been around, and it was I don't know why, but it was particularly um, available in Scandinavian countries, and it used to be sort of passed around w- w- between growers and at little plant shows and things. So it wasn't it, it didn't make a big hit, but suddenly it became popular, um, and it was going for big sums of money. Um, now you can get it everywhere. And I've got one, in fact, I've got two on my windowsill here. Um, and it's, it's rather like the spider plant, you know, with the spider yeah. plant. My mom had one of those growing up. I love the spider plant. It, it has all those babies on it. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> yeah. You can't give them away. You know, it's producing so many. So it's changing all the time. This, these fashions in, in plants are, are just changing all the time. Um, and my advice to anybody is, well, I've got two bits of advice. The first bit of advice is wait, just wait, <laughs> don't right. some amounts of money. But also the second bit of advice is look and go to your garden center and look at the plants that they've got for sale, because that's how these unusual variations crop up. Mm-hmm. It's just you get one little stem coming out which has got a bit of different variegation different coloring and somebody cuts it off and starts it off so you know anybody can do that anybody if you see it have Mm -hmm. a go well so that's good advice unless you are one of the people you mentioned also in your book that there's a whole crop of people who basically take cuttings of these expensive plants and steal them and then leave uh, and then leave the nurseries or whatever with these cuttings of these, you know, rare plants. So I would say have a go as long as you're not stealing from a nursery. We can both agree on that, I bet. Absolutely, okay. of course. Yes. Uh, no, buy the plant. Buy the plant. Right. <laughs> right. Well, you know, it's funny because I this is something that was kind of new to me. I didn't realize how popular house plants really were, but I should have picked up on it because I'm walking around my neighborhood. And what I realized is these kind of common areas, or I, I live in a large uh, apartment complex in Los Angeles, and what's kind of great is they're outside of people's houses, there's these little dirt areas where trees go, and some people have little plots of land in front of their apartment or whatever, and a lot of people, you're allowed to plant things there. And what I realized is in some of these sections, they were being taken over by succulents and cacti and, and all of these other plants uh, that people had clearly planted there. And also, I realized that in the neighborhood, there's a lot of these um, plant holders, like these little, I don't know how to explain them. They're like little plastic, um, it's almost like the little plastic um, flower bed people would have outside their window, but it's a plastic thing that can fit on top of a railing over a stair. It's kind of really cool like oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so yeah. people can now have yeah. little, you know, like a little flower flower patch in front of their house or right outside their door or whatever. These are really popular. So I should have realized this. But it's it's kind of crazy, and I think you're right. I, I guess this was on on its way up before that, but COVID really changed the world. And what's funny is at the end of your book, you talk about. I, I assume you wrote this at the end of 2019 because you talk about how you're entering 2020, and in some ways the writing is is very it's great because it's like blissfully unaware of the future pandemic, which becomes a major a major yes. factor on house plants. But you know, 2020 was designated the year of the house garden. 
2019 was the year of the house plant. Uh, these are kind of these weird omens that were happening right around the time you were writing this that kind of came true. You even mentioned 80% of people of 16 to 24 have a house plant, which was crazy. So this was already on the upward trajectory, but I feel like it's had exponential growth, uh, if you don't mind the pun. Yes. Oh, uh, no, absolutely. And you're absolutely right in the timing. Um, and we had we had great hopes. I don't know. You, you probably heard of the Chelsea Flower Show, which is the yep. most famous flower show in the in the world. Um, and and the RHS, the Royal Horticultural Society, who run it, were for the first time going to have a special section, a competition for houseplant displays um, this this May in 2020. And of course, because of the popularity of, of houseplants, and of course it didn't happen, but it is going to happen next year. So it, it is an acknowledgement, you know, throughout the horticultural world, um, that the importance of to people and that of, of houseplants. And I think this is so much to do with with the smaller homes. I mean, you're you're, you're very lucky with your the climate that you have there. Mm-hmm. That a lot of the things that we can grow inside. You can actually you you talked about succulents and cacti. Mm-hmm. Well, for, for us, um, particularly in the UK, but also in you know vast swathes of of um, the US as well, these are plants that have to be grown indoors. Certainly right, during right, right, the winter right. months. Yeah. Um, I mean, my my uh, my window sills are, are full of them now. <laughs> right. Um, uh, it's uh, it's it's just it becomes a sort of. Um, a passion and um once you're sort of once you're into it you really notice it if you don't have plants in your home or you go into other people's homes and they don't have plants and you think what's wrong with one <laughs> uh, a bit you know well I, I feel that way about people without pets to be honest with you i feel like if you don't have a dog yeah. or a cat or something yeah. Uh, or you don't like animals. I, I have the same thing. Uh, I kind of raise my eyebrow like, well, what's wrong with you? Are, yeah, are you a psychopath? Am I am I going to leave this house alive? <laughs> Those kind of questions kind of always creep into my head. Um, not so much with plants, but yeah. I can understand uh, the feeling because I definitely have similar feelings. But let's talk about the history of houseplants for a second if we could because there are lots of really yep. cool things going on here that I don't think people are aware of. But let's start. You know, we, we, we were talking about the popularity now. You know, this kind of originated, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the original use of houseplants, from what I could gather, is they were brought, plants were brought into the home either for herbs, for cooking, or for medicinal purposes, um, like, you know, by the apothecary or whatever, and sometimes yeah. to control pests. Yeah. Is that pretty close to the beginning? Absolutely. I mean, that's that's been happening, well, not just for centuries, but for millennia. Um, we, that, that we know that we know that um, what is much harder um, to 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 prove is when when plants started to be brought in to be purely ornamental. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, of course, people have always needed them to, for for cooking and for medicinal purposes, um, for you know, for forever. Um, and my sort of main sources, obviously, are um, written sort written texts and. Um, pictures and images um and when i was doing the book i found it um it's really difficult to find images um sort of before the mm, 17th century really um but but people were i knew from from books that people were growing plants what tended to happen because they had obviously they didn't have the heating um Mm -hmm, that we had but they had they 
they they had and they didn't know that plants needed certain requirements like light um and and water so it it just things were changing all the, all the time um but they were what so what tended to happen was that people grew plants outside and then when they came into flower they'd bring them into the home and then rather like the orchids i told you about earlier then they'd get rid of them afterwards but then something happened in the 19th century which changed plant collecting um for everybody not just in in britain in uk but across the world um and that was the the um development of the wardian case i don't know if you if you read any of that about this um well let's so i do want to talk about that because that's how we ended up with terraniums and it's a major advancement but let's back up a little bit i don't want to fast forward too much because there's a couple of really cool things i want to hit before we talk about that which is specifically, you know, the ornamental houseplant. I think that's key because, as we mentioned before, what I thought was interesting is in the book that that a lot of these plants were used uh, for, you know, like rosemary was used to guard clothes against vermin and used during the plague. I didn't know that. Um, sweet woodruff was used as an insecticide. Lavender was used to keep insects out of clothes. So this was kind of what was interesting is that a lot of these plants were, you know, had very uh, were very utilitarian they had they had uses they had purpose they had a purpose and, and that was very different but the ornamental plants this is where things get really interesting and i think as er, the earliest mention you have in your book is from 1597 and they were called exotics and these were plants that had to be cared for indoors and you know this was first coined um, by john gerald you mentioned in in, 19, in 1597 and this is important because Caring for a plant indoors in this time, I don't think a lot of people listening now can really understand what life was like in 1597, but if you, you had to have people care for it or dedicate a lot of time to caring for it, and that required money, so these became a status symbol, right? Yes, of course. It was, it was the, the, the wealthy, the rich, who were able to do this as, as best as, as they thought. And the date that you mentioned is very specific because it was when... Um, um, a book was published called, by John Gerard called um, John Gerard's Herbal. So um, he lists the plants in this book, but obviously these were already being grown before he wrote the book. Right, right, yeah. Um, <laughs> but it, but it, it gives us a sort of time slot for for us to know um, wh- which plants were being used, um, you know, prior to that, but specifically. Um, forward from that yeah um and but you i mean the, the plants that you mentioned you know like rosemary lavender all those um they the plants themselves weren't being grown indoors they were being cut oh i see and then yeah. the the branches would have been brought in um for for strewing um which was which was you what they they did was to cut the stems of these plants you can imagine, you know, rosemary and lavender, mm-hmm. uh, how how beautiful it smells when it when it's cut, mm-hmm. and um, it, they were laid on the floor um, to to protect against all sorts of vermin, but also to get rid of some of the awful smells yeah. uh, in 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 uh, in homes that 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 were there. So the, there were all sorts of different uses uses. Um, they were used for their essential oils, mm-hmm. um, so they they would have you know all the the plants that we the, all the the herbs herbs <laughs> um, you know we were used in di- in different ways and were 
absolutely essential to be grown in in any garden. Now these were, and these I have to say, these were grown mainly by women. Now, one of the other books that I've written is called Gardening Women, which is you know it's a history of of women in in horticulture, and um, women sort of tend to get um, as in so many ways tend to get um, airbrushed out of of history, um, but they're such an important part of plant growing because they were the ones who were growing these plants that were then brought in and used. Um, there's there's a ter- term for herbs. Um, which I don't know if it's it's used in the states. Um, they were called pot. One of the original reasons for why they were called pot plants mm-hmm. was because they were they were for the pot. They oh, were for the cooking. Oh, pot. that makes sense. Oh, not that they were in a pot. Yeah. They were going to be in a pot. No, no, no. They were going to be in the pot. Right. So the thyme, um, rosemary, all these. They were for the pot. Um, so they were grown by women in a, in a patch outside the back door. Um, you know, much as we try and do today, so you want you want it near the kitchen so that you can just go out and take a clipping and bring it in and throw it into the pot. Wow. That seems like the, the right order of things, right? Like that you have it outside. It's kind of it's kind of you're using you're kind of taking over nature, but the nature that's right around you, you know, you're kind of using it to your advantage. Mm-hmm. We get into so one of the thing I want to mention before we get into the big shift is in in 1608 there's a you talk about a guy named Sir Hugh Platt uh, whose name is very similar to Plant I thought maybe it was a typo because it'd be great if he was <laughs> Sir Hugh Plant no um, unfortunately but his first book Flora's Paradise um, he talks about there's a whole section on house plants I think it might have been the first book to have a section on house plants yes. but what I love about this guy is I think you call him the most ingenious husbandman. Uh, in the age that he lived in, and he was knighted due to his mechanical inventions, you know, removable sides on pots, auto-watering. He also wanted people to corral roots through a window, and so that the plant was outside, but you'd corral them into a house. But I I love that he was the first guy. You know, this is only, you know, this is what, like almost maybe 11 years after the first exotics are mentioned, that he's kind of already on the forefront of technology bringing plants into the home. I I love this. I I wanted, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention him, because he was my favorite guy in the book oh yes <laughs> ab- absolutely and uh, I'm, I'm it's such a shame that many of his ideas sort of weren't weren't taken up i think he was thought of as being um you know a sort of dotty professor type um but he was so ahead of his time so ahead of his time um and it's it's just fa- i was so excited to you know if you think that this was you know, Queen Elizabeth had had only been dead for two or three years when this book came out. Um, so it's it's he's he was a, a great forerunner. Um, and of course, we had sort of various problems in in uh, in Britain in the in the 17th century, which probably stopped um, the interest in plants. You know, civil wars do tend to do they that, do. but um, it 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 so it, it did sort of slow things down, but. Um, I must just tell you about the exotics, and I don't know if you picked this up because, of course, this is exotics with a K. Right? Yes. At the end. Yes. Yes. Exotic. <laughs> um, and that middle English. The, the idea that yeah, that, but the thought then was that any plant that wasn't native to the country um, that came in from abroad was an exotic. Okay. Now, what they didn't, so they treated them with. Um, uh, as though as as we would treat um, tender plants, but these weren't necessarily tender plants. 
Um, it's just because they came from abroad, um, they were they were called exotics. And then the meaning of that word changed over the centuries when it, when um, horticulturalist growers realised that actually some of these plants would work outside and could survive frosts and and. Um, but it, but in those days, um, the exotics were anything that that, that weren't native. Interesting. Uh, I didn't realize that. Okay, um, and that that's a great segue into you know kind of what is the main. Uh, this is the, where where kind of house plants it's propagated across the world, or at least in the UK, right? So we're the co- colonization, and this really begins like right around the 1600s. Uh, where people are going out and they're finding these cool plants in other countries and they're bringing them back to England. And this really starts house plants. And, you know, one of the things right off the bat, as soon as I read this chapter, besides, you know, people get upset about, you know, the raping and pillaging of other cultures and other land masses, and I I agree with that completely. But one of the things that no one really mentioned, which I think also adds to the devastation, is that most of these people were pulling plants from their native soil bringing that native soil back and this is you know this introduces lots of invasive species i was just reading a story i'm going to put this up on the website about the shovel-headed garden worm which is causing problems in georgia which they believe probably came over in the soil of of a plant from a you know non-native plant and these these worms are crazy i mean they they contain a neurotoxin yeah. the same neurotoxin yeah. that's in puffer fish you cut them in half and they regenerate into a whole one they eat all the native worms you know these are the kind of things that can really that a lot of downsides to the you know it gave us house plants but also there's a lot of problems that came with it and i can only imagine the damage that happened without the knowledge of what an invasive species what species was back then so um you know i I don't know what what you think about that oh absolutely i mean i saw that story as well and and um but please it's not just house plants (laughs) um it's the importing um and the distribution of of all non-native plants right 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 of course um, is 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 an issue um and that there was of course absolutely no awareness of of this in in previous centuries let alone probably previous decades i mean this is why um it's it's happened and and we have a we have a lot of problems now with um i mean things like like box but also olive trees mm-hmm. um th- there's a really ghastly um disease that's uh, going to affect that is affecting olive trees and we're now lo- no longer able to um import um, olive trees into into the UK unless they have been um, you know they're, they're very strict um, specifications about about that um, and there was none of this obviously it, it particularly during the 19th century mm-hmm. which was the boom time right. for the plant imports when hundreds of thousands of plants were were, were dug up and and brought to the the UK um, most of them have been successful. Thank goodness, but um, it it hasn't been without its problems. Right, and and what's kind of crazy is, you know, we mentioned the Wardian box, and the reason why this was created is because there were so many people bringing plants over, you know, at a time when it was very difficult to travel by ship. It took a long time. When you're on the ocean, the environment is extraordinarily different. So a lot of these plants didn't make it. And the seeds yeah. were eaten by the rats or the, you know, whoever on board who got hungry, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of these plants didn't make it across the ocean. So it's kind of a miracle that any did, really. And this is where the Wardian box comes into play. Uh, so tell me a little bit about this. Well, this 
uh, did just revolutionize things that um there was a man called nathaniel bagshaw ward marvelous name um and he'd actually he was actually studying a chrysalis which he'd put into a, a glass jar and he sealed it without realizing that there was a spore of, of, um, from a fern, um, which is how they, they, um, they don't produce seeds, they produce spores. And this seal in the, he watched and in this sealed jar, this fern began to grow and it had no water, nothing, nothing was given to it. Um, and he, he knew that he'd hit on something. Very sadly, there was another man up in Scotland who f discovered the same thing, but I'm afraid he was about two months behind Ward, so he he, he doesn't get any of the credit. But um, well, give him a name. You got to give so him a name was, plug here. I know he's been dead oh, for about two hundred years. Oh my God! I've got to look him up now, haven't I? I think it was McKechnie. It was McKechnie. yes, it was Ale Alexander McKechnie. That's it. That's it. Um, we got to give him a plug and, here, Catherine. We got it. I know. know we have. We've got to give him a little round yeah, of applause. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so. But it was Ward who went to um, one of the leading nurseries in London and sh designed what it was actually. It's actually more wood than glass. Okay. Oh, interesting. Um, but it, it's a sealed. It was a sealed box with glass um, at the top, and um, you must also be aware that at this time the whole production of glass was changing. That that in the UK there'd been window taxes and um, a, a glass tax and but at this time they'd also uh, these taxes were repealed and new ways of producing glass flat glass um, very cheaply came into into production um, previously um, glass was much more like if you imagine uh, a sort of an old Tudor house with tiny little bits of glass mm -hmm. or, or circular mm -hmm. glass it was it was thick and very expensive. Now it got cheap, and and the, the, these plants wouldn't have been able to have been brought from across the world if glass hadn't been so become so cheap. Um, they went to Australia. They um, uh, took a lot of cuttings, um, as you said. You know, previously you'd only been able to transport plants across the world either by seed or bulb, uh, it, and suddenly now you were able to take cuttings and um or plants themselves and bring them back of course you know still a lot died but um they got better and better at it and um just shiploads of thousands of plants were brought to europe and then across the atlantic and um it it there was just a complete explosion um and nurseries took them in. They were able to propagate them here, um, sell them to the open market, and you know the rest, as we say, is history. No, for sure. And and what there's this kind of a, an interesting theme that I picked up throughout history, throughout your book, and that is air quality, because it starts out where people believe so they bring it we didn't we didn't get to the conservatory which i want to talk about really quickly but that you know people brought yeah. plants indoors and the rich were able to build and that you know some even the middle class were able to build sections of their house dedicated to the to the to to raising plants and to taking care of them and kind of like little mini greenhouses but they were brought indoors yeah. for the heat and people believed i think they kept like coal burning fire in there and they believed that it was the heat <laughs> was the secret sauce into keeping plants alive was the heat and this coal uh, the cold smoke i believe 
Um, and then as you get on, then it's the, the terraniums, the, these Wardian boxes that come in. And they kind of protect the plant from the horrible, soot-filled London air, which is also a quality. Yes. And then there's a point later yeah. on where people believe that plants are actually giving off poisonous fumes. And so that they don't want to have them in bedrooms and, you know, certain plants are, are giving off poisonous fumes. And then you go yes. to the end where NASA is has they're doing research on the plants that actually clean the air the best. And I think there's like 50 of them or something like that, which also yeah. strangely yeah. includes two species that people believed, I think they believed were poisonous or were they used back in the Victorian era. And that's the rubber plant uh, and another plant that um, I will pull up in a second. But I just thought that that was a very interesting, you know, a very interesting kind of evolution and in the 1840s, I forgot to mention this, in the 1840s, they really understood how photosynthesis worked, so changing you know, carbon dioxide into oxygen. I just thought this was also this is very interesting. It is, and, it, and in fact, in, in the updated version, um, there's even there's more research going on all the time about the beneficial um, uh, aspects of, of plants in the, in the home, even more so. I mean, the, the NASA research was the, the big game changer. And suddenly everybody felt they had to have a, a peace lily in their home. But it was going to mop up all the formaldehyde right, fumes. Right, yeah. and, uh, well, ficus was the other uh, one. My plastic ficus it, wouldn't work. But a yeah. plastic fi ficus and a rubber no, plant. I'm afraid not. I'm afraid not. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Unfortunately. Um, but it's actually now that, um, that more work has been done on it, it, it's becoming clear that it's actually not surprisingly it's much more complicated yes. yeah. um, than 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 was was first thought and um the uh, the 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 guy that I've been talking to who's doing his PhD on it at the moment says that um he feels that really to get the real benefit you need to have a green wall oh, in your home now these these are very high maintenance it's the sort of thing that that Posh offices and financial and lawyers have, right. yeah. <laughs> uh, but most of us can't um, can't cope with having a green wall in in our home. But um, that's the ultimate aim. But what I think is interesting for the future is that um, there's so much being done about growing food in the home, and that you know with the with the shortage of of land. Um, that it's the idea that of vertical growing, and maybe we're back to the cannabis here. <laughs> uh, you keep bringing us back, Catherine. I didn't think you'd be the one to do that, but no, 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 no. no. You started it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's that this that the use. Uh, we're back to the technology using um, daylight lamps indoors, um, vertical growing. That this is the way that we're going to be growing our fresh greens. Um, in future, in in our in our homes, um, that we won't need to have so much outdoor space. That we will be able to grow plants inside. That will not only be good for the atmosphere, but will feed us as well. Well, I love that because this brings us full circle once again. You did an incredible job because I want to talk about conservatories before we finish up here. Yeah. And that is when they brought plants into the home. You know, it's all full circle, just like you mentioned with fashion. Things that were out of old are new again. And the conservatory, I believe the first, the first, the term greenhouse was first mentioned in 1704 by Queen Anne. And that was yeah. because she used her conservatory to store evergreen orange trees. I didn't know orange trees were evergreen. So if you, if you could explain that and then tell me a little bit about the, the history of, of the conservatory. 
Oh, well, um, I'm surely you're surrounded by um, orange trees, aren't you, in, in California? Maybe 50, 50 years ago. They don't, but they don't need to be brought inside, you see. Um, well, no, it goes back. Um, this, this is um, in England, obviously in Britain, that, that Queen Anne was having to give um, her, her citrus trees, her, her lemons and her oranges, um, some protection in winter. And they were clearly status symbols. Um, I mean, all, all that, those sort of fruit trees, you know, there's a marvellous painting of, of Charles II being presented with a pineapple, which had been, <laughs> been grown um, in, in England for the first time, right. much earlier, of course. Um, but no, it was, it was realised that to protect um, orange trees and lemon trees, they, they had to be protected from the frost. And if you were royalty or aristocracy, you were able to build a separate building, which was covered in glass, which was called an orangery. So most um, uh, stately homes in, in the UK, you will find somewhere um, an orangery. And from that developed, um, these, these would be used for parties. I mean, Queen Anne used hers in the summer. She'd have parties in them. But in the winter, they were used to, to store her, her lemon and, and orange trees. Um, and then, as I said, as, as glass became cheaper and more available to the, to the middle classes, um, then, then people were able to either to to add them to their homes or to have some sort of a greenhouse but they you know the victorians loved things that were a bit ott over the yes. top <laughs> the defining characteristic for sure they they wanted to add them to their house and they could show off um what what they what they had there um, and many of the great artists, um, you know, the, 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 the pre-Raphaelites, uh, they, they loved painting um, pictures of, of, of women looking um, very decorous in, in, in conservatories surrounded by, by plants that were, and it was the perfect condition for them. I mean, it was, they were very high maintenance. You needed to have, um, you know, a serious gardener or two or 20 or 35 in one case, looking after these, these greenhouses and conservatories because they would have been heated with underground um, stoves um, and it, it was all wrought iron. It was very beautiful and, and ornamental, um, but it was sort of out of the reach of, of most people. <laughs> For sure. Here's what I love about it. It's my, one of my favorite rooms in Clue, which I believe is called Cluedo in, in the UK. And and, oh, yeah. And, yeah. and I love this because it has a secret passage to the lounge. And I found out from your book that originally conservatories were not attached to the house. I believe it was Humphrey yeah. Uh, yeah. Repton who said that they should be separate from yeah. the house. But he pioneered the yeah. use of a secret passageway to get to them. That, I love that. So that there's actually, in most real conservatories, there is at least a quasi-secret passage to the house, and I'm hoping that it led to the lounge because I believe Clue... So it, 
Yeah. It was it was Colonel Mustard with the. Uh, <laughs> you have Colonel Mustard in your. Yes, well. of course. He's my favorite. Yeah, Colonel Mustard and Professor yeah. Plum. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so Colonel Humphrey Repton Mustard was the one who said that the conservatories yes. cannot be attached to the house. I love that. I learned that from the, from your book, and that was my favorite little tidbit. But before we finish here, I've got to ask you one question because I think you're the person to ask this. I was just reading an article, I'm going to put this up on the website, about a scientist here in California who is doing research on whether plants have personalities. And, you know, he sells them a little bit. They're not quite a dog, but they're more like a stationary hamster. That's that's the way I would kind of describe them. <laughs> but he makes a great argument that they that individual plants, not just the species, but individual plants, they produce a wide array of chemicals. Uh, they're 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 attracted to light. They know their own genetic kin so that they, they, they won't produce stress hormones. And some there's a paper that even suggests plants can perform arithmetic to keep from starving at night when there isn't um, sunlight. And one vine, in a Chilean vine, appears to mimic the leaves surrounding it, which I don't know if it necessarily, if this tells you that they're conscious or that they can see around them. But do they have personalities? I think that this is a really incredible kind of research. And I feel like you would have an interest in this and being around so many plants, knowing their history. What do you think about that? Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> have I have I, I stupefied you? Is, no. Well, I think it's it's really interesting, and I had no idea. This is the first time I've 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 heard of this, um, but I've heard of a lot of other things and and read about um, tree trees tree tree roots being able to communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Um, and I've also been into a. Um, the conservatory of um, uh, I can't tell you who it was, but it's a very oh, excuse me. Very, very, <laughs> you aren't American. Americans name drop like crazy. You guys, you go over there no, in the UK. No, no, keep I it. Yeah, I can't. I can't tell you. I like um, that. <laughs> but um, they had it, it, it's somebody in the pop world anyway, uh-huh. <laughs> um, and they had um, uh, a machine where you could listen to. The plants talking, communicating. What? Um, which seems seemed to me sort of completely bonkers until you actually hear the vibrations being given off by by plants, huh. and you think, "Wow, actually, this this could be happening. This this could be happening all around us." Um, and I'm, I'm ra- now rather nervously turning around and looking at the plants on my windowsill <laughs> thinking, what are they saying <laughs> behind my back? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it gives, me, it gives me a whole different outlook on carnivorous plants and the Venus flytrap and all of those for sure. Uh, maybe Audrey too is a real thing. Who knows? Maybe in the future. Uh, well, I'll send you that article. You can check it out. Um, I think it's really interesting. I'm going to put it on the website. I had to ask you because you're the first plant expert that I've spoken with and, and I just found this to be really interesting. i got to find out more about that plant vibrations i'm going to talk to you a little bit about that later on because i think that that's really interesting all this stuff is in your book potted history and it's a great book how can people get a hold of it if they want to learn more about this stuff um well the 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 usual source um i think you know amazon is going to is is having the 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 kindle version and very shortly it will be available um as a as a paperback um, um in the in the u.s as well but of course, um, any of your listeners who are outside America can get it from Amazon UK. Um, 
without a problem. Gex is not available in the United States, which I think is an absolute crime. Uh, we're, have, we're having a switch in government, and I'm going to see if I can Very petition short. our government and see if yes. we can get this over here. And so I imagine you're all over the Internet. You talk about the importance of social media when it comes to plant plants. I imagine you're not a plant influencer yourself, even though you obviously could be. But I imagine you're on social media. Where can people find you? Oh, all the usual places. Um, I mean, you'll, you'll find me on on Twitter. Um, as Woodwise. Oh, that's one great. One word, Woodwise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm on um, Instagram as as Catherine um, Lower Thing Me, whatever it is, Horwood. Um, and on Facebook as well as Catherine Horwood. And I'll have links to all of that stuff on the website so people can find you very easily. But I got to tell you, this has been a very fascinating interview. Uh, and you and I are going to talk for about 10 minutes on some um, our favorite fashion, the worst fashion, because we got to finish up that conversation. But I got to tell you, thank you so much for talking about uh, about the history of plants, house plants, potted history is the name of the book. Um, Dr. Catherine Horwood, thank you so much for being on the show today. Pleasure. Pleasure. <laughs> and I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glencoe production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The show producer for this episode was Sarah Brandt. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. If you like the show, you've got to subscribe. You can find us on all the major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. And if you're not a member of those platforms, you can find links on our website fascinatingnouns.com is where you want to go scroll to the bottom and you'll find links to all the podcast platforms as well as links to our social media you can find links to our twitter facebook instagram pinterest and youtube pages all right there at the bottom of the fascinating nouns webpage. and if you don't want to do any of that stuff you can still listen to every episode that we have right there on the home page scroll to the top and you can see all the previous episodes all the past guests you can find the articles we talked about videos images all that stuff right there on fascinatingnouns.com and if you like this show you're gonna like everything that i do go to danieljglenn.com to find out more thank you for listening end of transmission